Hey everybody, welcome back to Defenders Dialogue with Car and Adam. I'm Adam Phillips, president of Untold Stories Marketing, and with me today, as always, is Car D'Angelo, owner of Earth Two Comic Shops in Sherman Oaks and Northridge, California. Fantastic. And today we are on episode 24. It's 24. Is that right? Wow. How can that be right? That's like six months. I guess it is. And um, we're calling this one, Who Remembers? Who Remembers Scorpio? So we're going to be covering Defenders 46 and 47, an odd little pair of issues. I have a couple of notes today, Carr, but they are kind of like things I think we can sort of hold on until we get to the right place for a okay. couple of them anyway. But there is one thing I'm going to mention, which is it's more like a footnote to the giant size discussion we were having a while ago. Yes. Because Hellcat showed up in our last episode and in issue uh, 45, I think it was, or 44, excuse me. And I was trying to dig into what happened to the original cat from that very short-lived series from the early 70s, right? So I started digging into that a little bit and was reminded that she got transformed into Tigra. Oh, yeah. I, I could not remember that. Oh, she okay. got transformed into Tigra in Giant Size Creatures number one. Yep. So there's that. But the interesting thing, this is just on a um, Wikipedia page. The interesting thing was that Tony Isabella, who wrote that story, said, this is a quote, my memory may be a bit shaky here, but I recall the giant size books were approved and put on the schedule without a lot of lead time. I think I got the assignment one day, pitched the idea on the next, and one day later we're sitting down with Roy Thomas and Gil Kane to work out what Tiger would look like. So this just ties into what we were talking about a while back in regard to the breakneck pace of the uh, giants. Right, where in some ways they should have been something special and planned, but they did have kind of a slapdash. Some of the stories had kind of a slapdash feel because they were scheduled at the last minute. Yes, both slap and dash. Slap and dash. They're detectives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we can get started if you want. Defenders 46, April cover date, went on sale January 18th, 1977. So it moved into big 1977. Disco is in the air. John Travolta <laughs> won't get out of that damn white suit. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it was there's a new. There's a new hit movie at the multiplex. Yeah, it's called Star Wars. Almost, Star. not quite. We're a couple months away from Star Wars. Yeah, it's called Star. What was it again? The Star Wars. The Star Wars. But Star Wars as a comic might be out by now because that that came out three months before the movie. Yeah. It's true. I feel like the movie came out in like June. and The movie came out in May, Memorial Day, May 25th, 1977. It might have been February when the comic started. I'm not sure. Good questions. But anyway, we're here to talk about these Defenders. Yeah, so Defenders 46. Uh, this cover is by Ed Hannigan and Joe Sinnott. Ed Hannigan is going to become a bigger, bigger presence in the Defenders in the months to come. But also at Marvel. I mean, is he like... Yeah an associate art director or something is Ramita. I mean, he seems to be kind of the cover guy uh, for a I, lot of books around. This I know. Book. I, I know what you're talking about. I don't remember ever seeing his name like on a masthead 
even on an extended masthead like they used to do in Foom. But we will have an opportunity to look into that sometime soon, I think. Cool. Anyway, on this cover, let's see. The Hulk is way in the foreground, and he's sort of wrapped up in big shards of metal, like he's being attacked by the Metal Master. And sort of in the center of the image, like behind the Hulk, is Scorpio. And Scorpio is uh, waving an Ankh-shaped sort of key at the Hulk, which is making all this stuff wrap around him. And then to his to Scorpio's right is Valkyrie coming at him with the sword, and to his left is Hellcat coming at him with his, her claws, and overhead is Nighthawk coming at him with his, I don't know, jetpack. <laughs> he doesn't really have weapons. He doesn't have talons. Doesn't have, yeah. Oh, well, that would have been great. Actually, you know what would have been really good? is if when he had that bird nose, the real original bird nose, yeah. if that was like, you know, <laughs> he could attack with it. <laughs> it like it like expanded. It, it shot out like a, uh, like a, like a taser. I just wanted to peck at people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but a chicken can peck your head down to a nubbin. Okay. That, that, that <laughs> was the, what was the mighty heroes, right? Chicken man. Oh, yeah. No, that, that thing I just said is from a children's book series, Junie oh. B. Jones, and that my daughter loved. And um, there was, they're very funny books. Uh, and in one, they go like on a field trip to a farm, and one of the kids scares her by telling her that a chicken can pick your head down to a nubbin. So that's become like a, catch, <laughs> a catchphrase around here. It's the funniest series. So on this cover, there's a caption that says, Who remembers Scorpio? Asterisk. And then asterisk to a another caption at the bottom of the cover that says it's a cinch the defenders will if they survive his attack so scorpio seems to be in this comic among other people yes i went back and looked at the issue number five of nick fury agent of shield yeah where he first appeared i guess right without the zodiac because the zodiac shows up like later in avengers or something yes yeah the full zodiac does show up a couple of years later but i read that story i still have no idea what his deal is because i'm going to say something controversial here but as beautiful as those taranko issues are on shield i could never make any sense out of the stories i yeah no it's a little controversial but i mean i I think there's there's (laughs) there's a truth to it i mean i've i don't know that i've actually read through i mean I've, i've i've had them all i've had the the you know the trade paperback collections i've certainly you know and i the captain america's of his i've I've read but i don't in terms of steranko stories don't stick with me it's just oh wow that cover oh wow that sequence yeah so i i can agree that it's not like oh i remember all you know wasn't in a lot of intricate character development plotting and stuff um yeah my, my two thoughts on the on the cover yes are that well, one, I'm always looking at the coloring, right? And they kind of, Scorpio actually kind of uses like orange face makeup to fill in his face, but they, but on the cover here, he's kind of like skin tone. Oh yeah. And it looks, it looks like, I mean, it looks like it's the same ratio as, you know, the, the other characters' skin tones. Maybe it's a yeah. little more red. No, it, it's the same, definitely. It's, it is the same. Okay. Just that there's more, it looks different just because there's more of it. Um, and there's no accent, like, you know, the blush on, um, you know, it looks like, uh, yeah, there's a little blush on Valkyrie. On Valkyrie, and but so it looks like he's got a tattoo of the Scorpio symbol on his on his on his chest. Yes, and the other thing is, 
when I picked up this book for the first time as a, um, you know, as a 14 year old, I was, I didn't remember Scorpio because I don't think I would have ever seen him in a story before, but as in gentlemen of the age I am today, I do remember who remembers Scorpio very clearly. So I wanted to answer those two questions. Oh, good. I'm glad you're answering them. (laughs) Yeah. At this point, he hasn't shown up since about 1970, maybe 69. Oh, no, actually, Actually, earlier, because that's I, I just looked these up and the, the Nick Fury Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. series starts in 68 and he was in issue five. So it might have been 68, 69. When the Zodiac shows up in Avengers in like the 100 and teens in the Engelhart books, is, huh. it, is it a new Scorpio or is he in there and just not? And just not making much noise because all eyes were on Libra, as I recall. Yes. And Taurus. Uh, I don't really remember if it's the same guy. Okay, that's a, that, that's a, that we'll put a pin in that. We'll yeah. look into that. And, and, and Scorpio time. himself may tell us over the course of the story because there do become certain points where he just can't shut up. I know. I kind of hope he just kind of, you know, they say, hey, aren't you the guy from the Zodiac? And he goes, <laughs> those idiots. Right. Let, let me uh. put this in perspective for you. <laughs> okay. So the story is called Who Remembers Scorpio? It's written by Roger Schleifer and Dave Kraft with art by Keith Giffen and Klaus Janssen. And just because we love these footnotes, uh, coloring by future inker Dave Hunt, who has done lots of jobs. He was a letterer, background inker, colorist this time. He's a good colorist, does a good job. Anyway. And and Irv Watanabe, I don't know if as letterer he gets credit for this or if it would be an art department thing, but the title treatment here I like a lot. And sort of the kind of logo, it's not really what I'd call a full logo treatment, but they kind of give uh-huh. this really cool design to the word Scorpio, where it's big, rounded block letters. I know that seems like a contradiction. It kind of looks like on all the letters except the O, it's like there's little scorpion prints in the sand is how I'm kind of reading it. Oh, yeah. And then in the O is the symbol of a, of a, of a scorpion. And I'm yeah. a Scorpio, by the way. And we're wow. recording this in November which is sort of the month of Scorpio. Yes. So it's kind of, uh, you know, this this meant a lot to me. I mean, it's kind of, you know, like when you, because, you know, I mean, when you are like, you know, 14, you are into astrology and things like that. And you may put some, you know, even put mystical meanings and things. So, you know, the the fact that there was a, a, I mean, obviously there's a whole Zodiac that I hadn't seen yet in a story, but that they're focusing on the Scorpio character. I'm like, oh, I might like this guy. I'm a Scorpio. Uh Well, that's cool. So as far as that title lettering goes, there's a decent chance that Keith Giffen penciled it in. Yeah. It's hard to say. I don't recall. Like like somebody like Walter Simonson does a lot of that stuff himself. He does effects lettering and he does story title lettering sometimes and yeah no you're right and i do and we have seen that and i mean now that you're you're refreshing my memory that i've seen you know similar type of things i mean it's almost kind of like a you know when i think of especially ambush bug where he played with a lot of sort of comic book design yes true okay so this starts with prelude and that's kind of important because something i was thinking about before pre it's a prelude but it picks up right where we left off last issue which is Doctor Strange is telling the rest of the team that he is quitting. And it's the reverse shot of what we yeah. had at the end of the last issue. And it's gorgeous. It's a splash page with all the five defenders, Red Guardian, Valkyrie, Hulk, 
Nighthawk and uh, Luke Cage are all sort of huddled around and looking out at the reader and also Doctor Strange. And you can see Doctor Strange's shadow on the stone wall behind them. And, the, and Nighthawk is particularly upset. Valkyrie doesn't look very upset, but Nighthawk is particularly upset. <laughs> I think it's just, you know, coincidence that she was not drawn being, you know, in tears or whatever. Anyway, he, Nighthawk's saying, you can't quit on us now. Doctor Strange is explaining how his powers have been diminished since he stepped down from being Sorcerer Supreme, which is why he was taken over by the star of Kapistan. He's got to get back to his studies. His mom's mad at him. I don't know. Anyway, and Nighthawk keeps going, but what about the team? We need you. We need you. But by the end of the page, Nighthawk's going like, fine, we'll, we can carry on without you, right, team? We're united together. And uh, at the end of the page, Luke Cage says, uh, just a reminder, I told you last time that I'm quitting too. What? And what? Also at the top of that page, that Hulk either looks like it was re-inked a little by John Romita or maybe drawn in completely by Romita. I can't decide which. Oh, that profile? That little profile that's sort of leaning in Hulk. Any opinion? Any opinions? I mean, it's almost odd that it's there, so it is almost like, yeah. you know... And then there's also another thing there where you see kind of his shoulder on the other page. So, yes, it, it's possible that, you know, you, you sort of talked about, like, the flipping through the comic idea once. It's like, yes, if you if the Hulk, they feel, is the big thing, and we're still not at the, you know, Marvel's TV sensation era yet of the Hulk. I think we're still... Later, that's like later seventy seven or early seventy eight. Yeah, but um, but you know, certainly the Hulk is big business for Marvel. It feels like, you know, it's almost like the thing of like, where's Iron Man's nose? Somebody, an editor or art director, flipping through, and going, where's 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 the Hulk in this? And then he's standing there too. On this page in particular, yeah, yeah. It, anyway, it's possible he's nowhere else on the page, but he was on the page before, and he's on the page after. So yeah, but you're right. It, there's things that. Giffen does that do not look like this Hulk, and it doesn't even look particularly Jansen. I mean, the ink, you know, I mean, now that you've yeah. got me like looking at it, the inking doesn't even look like Jansen's in particular. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I can't decide. Anyway, so Luke Cage <laughs> keeps explaining how, you know, I was, I was telling you this before, I'm a loner, I don't want to, and Nighthawk goes, okay, fine, you're, you're a good guy, and I, that's fine. Hulk says, what, you're leaving too? And then <laughs> Red Guardian says, I, I, I have to go to, actually. It's stuff to do with, you know, my my visa, basically. I can't stay on the basis of international diplomacy. And Kyle's getting a little more worked up now. He's been, like, you know, the rug's been pulled out uh, from under his feet several times in a row here. And even here, when she says, look, you know, I'll... It's, it's, I have to go because of the threat of danger against my loved ones. And Nighthawk says, okay, it's fine. And Nighthawk, uh, you know, says, this team is falling apart. <laughs> we've been in this situation before yeah, with the Defenders, and we've been in this situation before. What's interesting is Doc Strange is usually kind of like, meh, you know, Okay, we're losing somebody. It is what it is. I mean, obviously, you know, he had a more. He has his own book. He doesn't have to worry about the defenders. But right. you know, Kyle Richmond doesn't have another book to go to, so he's. <laughs> it's very important to him. And I think Doctor Strange is the ostensible. I mean, I think they say that that he sort of feels like 
the glue that yes. was holding it together. But then Dr. Strange says, but yeah, but I, I shouldn't be the glue that holds it together. So if it's, right. if this concept is going to exist, it really has to be able to support itself without me. Yeah. Which, you know what? He's right. Yeah. Hellcat then says, um, I really should check in with the Avengers. I'm having fun with you guys, but I am officially an Avenger. I should go talk to them. So as long as you guys don't mind me staying around, I will do that. And ha Nighthawk says, <laughs> the way things are going today, I'll be, I'll be happy to have Howard the Duck, basically. <laughs> Which I thought was cute. And then Nighthawk says to Valkyrie, what about you? And Valkyrie says, you know, Stephen has a good point about that we all need to have our own personal lives, and I really don't have one, and I haven't done anything to develop ties outside of this team, but you are my family in a, in a very real way. But we can't, but what are we going to do? She says, as far as headquarters goes. And Nighthawk says, uh, we've got the writing academy, remember? Hello. That's established. They're going to move from the Sanctum Sanctorum, which has sort of been an unofficial headquarters, out to the writing academy that he purchased for the team and for her uh, way back. Drew Penny's worth. Oh, yeah, that's right. Whatever happened to that guy? <laughs> Nighthawk says to Hulk, you're on board, right, Hulk? You're going to come with us to the new headquarters and everything. And Hulk is has his back to him and is just saying, Hulk doesn't get it. First, Birdnose shouts at Magician. Now, Birdnose asks Hulk to choose between his friends. And a great panel at the end of the page where Hulk is turning and we can see his face now. And it's, you know, like underlit and, and scary. Oh, looking. yeah. Really beautiful. And then Hulk starts smashing a piece of furniture and ask, and saying, why do I have to choose between my friends? And Nighthawk starts to try to explain, but he kind of makes it worse until Valkyrie steps in and says, everybody needs time alone, including Doctor Strange. And Hulk says, yeah, I, I get the idea of being alone. I, I can understand that. Which I like. That's a great, that's a, that's a great it is. I really like the Hulk going, oh, yeah. That's what I do all the time. I go, I need to be alone and sit on a mesa and, you know, yeah. think about life before the rhino shows up to attack me. Right. You're absolutely right. And it also is a pretty good use of, of Valkyrie as the Hulk whisperer again. Yes. You know, she puts it in terms that he can understand and calms him down. I do have a question for you as the Hulk expert. Oh, sure. Why does he not just turn back to Bruce Banner when he's all calm? Oh, wow. Or is that a thing? That's a no. That's a great question because we've never. I mean, they, you know, Roy Thomas used that a lot. I don't think I don't know that Steve Englehart even really used it. But but Roy Thomas always had him going back to Bruce Banner and borrowing Doctor Strange's clothes, and, yeah. uh, you know, and then going to Vermont or someplace. Right. It's a question. It's a question for the ages, and I'm surprised <laughs> it hasn't been asked before. I don't. In this stage in the Hulk, we're not into any of that he's Hulk all the time or anything like that. Although that's, that's coming soon. It's not oh, yeah. here yet. It's still a couple years away when, you know, John Byrne um, goes over. So I would simply, my no prize answer would okay. be it's because there no, two possible no prize answers. One uh -huh. is the team dynamic is so stressful, even though he's comforted there. Uh. He's still so stressful on a certain level, it keeps him in Hulk form, number mm -hmm. one. Or number two, we never were told that that Doctor Strange put some secret spell on him. 
So when he's around them, he's the Hulk. Now, why he would want that? <laughs> now, why he would want that spell, I don't know. But may, but uh -huh. it's also possible that, that that would be the other other theory. And I think the real answer is number three, which is they wanted the Hulk in the Defenders. They didn't want Bruce Banner in the Defenders. <laughs> Those are all great answers. I like question. I like answer number two best. Not because Doctor Strange wants Hulk around so much, but because he doesn't want uh, Bruce Banner around because he keeps borrowing his clothes and not returning them. <laughs> That's you know what I think. I think we could have gotten a no prize if we sent that in to Archie Goodwin in nineteen seventy seven. Yeah, <laughs> he lost one too many purple jackets. Yeah, Doctor Strange had that. I mean, of course, not that we ever see Doctor Strange in his civilian clothes. You, know, That's you could true. also say the same thing. Why? Why does Doctor Strange, when he goes out for a, I mean, for a couple issues, there'd be a scene of him walking in. He'd be in a look to be in a suit or something. But you know right. now most of the time, even if he's just out walking, you know, uh, the streets of New York, he's dressed as Doctor Strange. Yeah, yeah, right. Because the late seventies were so weird. Yeah, it was in like Greenwich Village. Who knew? He, yeah, he might have been. He might have been going to a disco. <laughs> yeah, exactly. With his big medallion on. Yes. So uh, then we get a big splash page of the entire team kind of exiting Doctor Strange's place and talking about. You know, it's been it's always great to work with you guys and you're welcome to come back any old time and goodbye, Valkyrie, goodbye, Red Guardian. And then we cut to Okay, well, okay, before we cut, I want to two observations. One, and I, I don't even know if I ever saw this before today, but in the upper right hand corner, do you see this like gargoyle? Oh yeah. It's a, such a Keith Giffen design. It's like a, it's it's almost a little bit alien, which I don't think is that movie hasn't come out yet. But no, it's got it's like not. multiple kind of multiple jaw levels, so it has a, a resemblance to to the alien uh, in, in in that movie. But it's just it's again random. And I suppose it's supposed to be some sort of gothic, archaic fixture of Doctor Strange's, um, uh -huh. but it's almost there as some like again weird medieval Ultron or something. Um, it's, yeah. just, it's just, it's just a, a sort of art fixture. And I don't know what the thing on the other side is, which is like yeah, a blue it's pretty, thing. It's pretty abstract. Blue. It's very abstract. So it's just something to sort of fill the frame. But yes, they, you've got this great picture. And it's a, it's a technique we've seen. I think we see, um, and maybe this is the one I'm, I'm thinking of. But I feel like Giffen uses this another time as well, these sort of group shots uh, mm -hmm. like this. But I got to say... Young D'Angelo at this point in the story was, oh my God, this made the last four issues worth it. Because I was really like unsure if the, the Defenders could survive post Steve Gerber. But uh, like here, even taking out Doctor Strange, which is a big surprise, but the characterization, the interaction, the Hulk whispering, you know, Nighthawk being all, yeah. you know, upset about the Defenders, which, you know, which again, he's kind of a spokesman for the audience. I really thought this was a good way to get back on track and into the characters, which uh -huh. was always what carried the defenders more than the, than the superhero plots. And, you know, like I said, I think I was very, at this point, I was very comforted and very, you know, happy with the direction that uh, Roger Slifer and Dave Kraft were going in. Yeah. It's really exciting. And I love seeing these different interactions that, speak to the kind of relationships the characters are developing. I mean, it, it's a lot of fun and it's building in a good way. Uh, yeah. So then we cut to Reardon oil refineries in Hackensack, New Jersey. 
Oh, Hackensack. You know, my grandparents lived in Hackensack, Carr. <laughs> I, my, 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 my mother lives in Hackensack. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. But it's true. My grandparents lived in Hackensack. Okay. And my dad worked in Lodi, New Jersey, which was the next town over from Hackensack. And the last thing I'll say about Hackensack is first comic shop I ever went to was on Main Street in Hackensack. And I got my parents to take me to like stop there on the way to one of our like more or less monthly visits to my grandparents. Well, and, w- and what year would that have been? Uh, probably 75 or 76. I think I just looked it up. We had a Bergen County phone book and I think I just looked up used books. And I think that's probably the time. And you'd been to conventions in Manhattan though, by that point. They were kind of simultaneous, actually. Okay. The first one I went to was the mighty Marvel comic Con in March, 1975. Right. Yeah, probably same here, more or less. Maybe I might have been to something in 74. I can't remember exactly. But I know, yeah, the first shop I found was in Yonkers, New York. Mm-hmm. And it was a very long bus ride. And I don't even know if I told anybody I was doing it. <laughs> I just like, I don't, you know, and again, I don't know. And that's why I do feel like it was simultaneous because I feel like it was either through comics or maybe through the buyer's guide or something I saw at the convention, but something that got the idea that there could be a comic book shop. I mean, I must've looked it up in the phone book. Uh I must've found out that there was a comic book shop and that it was on central Avenue in Yonkers. And, you know, and that was a very long road with, with one, but it was, it was, you know, not a lot of transfers or anything, but boy, it was a long bus ride. And I don't think, Uh um, and what I bought that day was it, or did that was what I was reading, but it was, it might've been, might have been 78 then because it was one of the what i was reading was one of the um, elliot Magan superman novels that came out uh, around the time of the movie okay so probably what then it might have been then more likely it was it was 78 or 79 i think what i bought that day and you could only get back issues there was no like getting yeah new comics it wasn't really a direct market pretty much at all but i'm pretty sure i bought a couple of early back issues of captain marvel and the defenders I'm not sure I remember which ones particularly. Maybe Captain Marvel number four, which is Captain Marvel still in his green and white costume fighting the Submariner. The Submariner, yeah. There's a Super Scroll issue around like two or three, but that's like issue two or yes. three or five or something. Uh, there definitely is. And those first few issues look great because they're drawn by Gene Colan. But yes. Um, the early, not to get off on the subject too far, but the early uh, Captain Marvel issues before. Gil Kane, let's say, are very hit and miss. Right. And I like, don't know wait, who, was, who was, was Archie Goodwin or Roy Todd? I mean, who uh, had been writing it then? I think Gary Friedrich wrote a bunch of them. Roy Thomas definitely wrote some of the early ones. All right. Anyway, the reason we're in Hackensack, New Jersey is that. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's what Lazarus How did we even get here? Yes. <laughs> there you go. There you the go. The reason we're in Hackensack, New Jersey is that. Jack Norris is furtively skulking around a an oil refinery and trying to escape shadowy figures who capture him at this point because, you know, he's sort of like, I think I lost them. Did I lose them? I don't know. What about the defenders? I zap. And then he's unconscious. Right. And we pull the camera pulls back to see it's Nick Fury, director of S.H.I.E.L.D., who has shot him with the zap gun. Which is a shock. Literally. Huh. That's, that's good, yeah. But that was that was that's a that was a big surprise to me. And again, I don't know yeah. that I had seen a lot of Nick Fury at this point, except maybe like in a panel or two of like 
you know, he'd always be like on a screen in Captain America comics and yes. things like that. And here, I'm sorry, but this is one of the notes I had for this episode that I wanted to just bring bring up when Nick Fury happened, which is, I think I may have mentioned before, but I was reading Captain America Omnibus, Volume 3, the Steve Englehart years, and then I went straight on to the Captain America Omnibus, that's the Jack Kirby years, and I wrote read through that, and then I thought, well, the Eternals movie just came out, I'm going to read the Eternals for the first time in whatever, how, 10 years or what have you. And here's the weird thing about those Kirby, I mean, there's a lot of weird things about those Kirby issues, but the weird thing to me in this context about those Kirby issues of Captain America and the Eternals is that there's a lot of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in them that are just generic people with no even names. Right. And they they mention Nick Fury constantly, but he never shows up. It's the funniest thing. It's like, why would he, why would Kirby even bother to put shield in there. I guess he needed some sort of organization for the government, but he keeps, they keep mentioning Kurt, Nick Fury and he just never, never shows up. It's the wait, weirdest wait, thing. When, which stories is this? The Captain America run by Kirby. And oh, then the Captain the, America run. And, yeah. But yeah. also in the Eternals. Oh, Oh, interesting. Yeah. You know, he's like, there's some agent of shield guy who's just wearing a regular suit, by the way. Right. He's not like in anything fancy. And he's saying, Nick Fury is going to hear about this for sure. Okay. <laughs> well, again, that sounds like it also is one of those, you know, nod to the Marvel universe without, you know, without direct. Without having, without having to actually do anything. Right. I guess. It's odd. Anyway, okay. So then we cut back to over the Manhattan skyline. And Hulk is jumping and Nighthawk is flying. And they're basically on their way to Long Island where they're going to see the uh, Writing Academy. Hellcat says... This setup is so swank that it puts Avengers Manson to shame. And I'm like, this is a riding academy. It's basically a stable. Are you sure? <laughs> is that what you mean? And uh, Hulk says he likes it here because it's quiet and green. <laughs> Unlike me, I'm loud and green. Emphasis on the green. Yeah, right. He doesn't say that, but I thought it was funny. <laughs> he loves green places because he can blend in, I guess. There you go. <laughs> He always, that's, why he always, that's why his favorite Comic-Con is Emerald City Comic-Con. Oh, there you go. And you, you never guess what his favorite song is. Uh, <laughs> so they go inside, open the door. Rainbow Connection. A, uh, you're so close. Um, <laughs> there's a figure standing there, and he turns around. He's got a handful of Kirby dots that he's going to do something with. And uh, it's Scorpio. And Scorpio says, my astrological forecast led me to believe that today I would at last confront Kyle Richmond here. Instead, I am met by a belligerent force of costumed strangers. Yet none shall stand long against, or long stand against, Scorpio! Okay. And I'm sure all these guys are just going, what? Who are you? Why are you here? And you're right, by the way. His chest and neck and face are all orange here rather than the regular pinky flesh tone on the cover yeah and the caption says he's holding an object he has an object clenched in his fist but you which is so clearly drawn on the cover the the, the yes. zodiac key but in the kirby dots i mean yeah it looks like he's just got a a fistful of kirby you know kirby energy you, you, not i don't really, know you can kind of make out the shape if you know what you're looking for yes anyway so they don't know why he's there but they all the defenders all go charging at him and Scorpio says, I hold this key to the Zodiac, rash fools. You're all doomed to defeat. 
and immediately they start wrecking up the joint. Oh, and Scorpio says, where's, you know, tell me, where's Kyle Richmond? As he blasted them. And, you know, they're just sort of trying to capture him and avoid being shot by this Zodiac key thing for a little bit. He, like, holds Hellcat in the ray of the thing in sort of a stasis field, he says. And then he swings the key with her at the end of the ray and throws her at Nighthawk. So that's fun. And then Hulk comes... Mighty action, mighty Marvel action sequence. Yes, as you demand. And then Hulk comes charging at him, but he uses the key to rip up all the, like, metallic um, computers and, and stuff from the console, and it sort of starts wrapping Hulk in a cocoon of metal, and he can't quite get out. But he will. He says he's gonna. I'm gonna get out, and I'm gonna be so mad. (laughs) <laughs> That's just like from up over. And then Valkyrie comes charging at him with um, her sword, Dragon Fang. And he's gonna, she says he, she's going to best him with the flat of her enchanted blade. All right. And I, and I know we're overanalyzing some of the art, but that lower right panel is a four yeah. panel, you know, Kirby design page of the four panels. But Scorpio looks kind of leaner and more angular in a way that isn't a typical Giffen design. Giffen's characters are all kind of squat. And this almost looks like a a borrowed or a homaged, I'll say, Uh, you know, I mean, it almost looks like a, it struck me as like a Neil Adams or a Rich Buckler type of pose. That's interesting. Yeah, I could see that. And, you know, Jansen inking it emphasizes the Buckler-erosity of it, I suppose. But it's just like you say, sort of the the character seems more, you know, taller proportionately than like the, you know, than, than, uh, the normal, but uh huh, that's true. Style, but okay, yeah, this, this is all very exciting drama going on. Yeah, Nighthawk flies up behind him and he's got like um, a lead pipe or something that he tries to hit him with, a little like Hawkman with that. Anyway, he knocks the key, the Zodiac key, out of uh, Scorpio's hand. Hellcat uses her claws to grab it and pull it away from him, and Nighthawk gives him a good sock in the jaw. Scorpio says he's going to resort to a more mundane method of combat, i.e. he takes his belt off, off, and it's almost like a chain, and he's using it to kind of swing at Valkyrie and stuff. Oh, I guess it's like a scorpion tail, come to think of it. Yes, it's almost um, like clear what the constrictor uses. Yeah, there you go. Coming soon to Disney+, Plus, the constrictor! (laughs) Um... He and Valkyrie are kind of going back and forth, you know, sword and weird belt thing, lashing back and forth at each other. And then she decides that she's going to take him on hand to hand. So she puts her sword down. It's a little weird. And then he says he's going to revert to his basic element. And he becomes like a big spray of water that's sort of attacking everyone. It's like he's intelligent water. It's very odd. But he's sort of splashing around, you know, like a like like a fire hose is being blasted at, at Valkyrie and Hellcat, but you never get to see where the actual fire hose is. It's just a, a water. With um, the explanation that Scorpio is a water sign of the Zodiac. Well, yes, that much. I didn't think we need to even explain that. But he sloshes his way across the room and then re, reassembles himself into his physical form where he's got the key. But just as he does that, the Hulk has bashed his way out of all the metal that was wrapping him up. 
And that's a great picture of the Hulk. Fantastic. Yes. And I love, you know, he's got like all these shredded bits of uh, machinery all over him. It's cool. You know, and Hulk is saying, Hulk told you nothing can hold Hulk. And Scorpio, super close up, says, you're too late. My machinations have delayed you just long enough. And remember, the name is Scorpio as he disappears. And What was that name again? I forget. (laughs) And as he disappears, he says, you know, don't forget, say hi to Kyle Richmond for me. So we still don't know what his beef with Kyle Richmond is, but he disappears in a big flash of light. And then the other defenders are kind of going, what is his deal? What did he want with me? Kyle says, he'll be back for sure. Hellcat says, and and Hulk says, and when he comes back, Hulk will be waiting for him. Well, that that's a, a prelude. The um, thing I wanted to say too, though, is yeah, this oh, yeah. weird thing that somehow astrology made his his reading of his astro- astrological forecast, you know, for yeah. the day, told him he would find Kyle Richmond there, and then didn't put obviously the two and two together that perhaps Kyle Richmond is one of the people who showed up. Yeah, that's a good point. And also, that's a very specific astro- astrological. Well, you know, the, that, the newsletter has a very specific astrology <laughs> section. I guess so. And Scorpio yeah. is just about Scorpio. Hey, Scorpio. Right. You're, <laughs> you're going to meet Kyle Richmond today in an abandoned writing academy on Long Island. <laughs> This is a five-panel page, and the last panel is the next issue blurb, which says, Next! Would you believe Wonder Man? Plus a su- super surprised guest star. Okay, so the issue's over. We're done. Yeah, thank goodness. You want to say it, or shall I? But wait, there's more. You say it. All right, all right. It says, Epilogue, and this page is a nine-panel page. Small boy wearing a thing, like from the Fantastic Four, sweatshirt. He's delivering newspapers anyway, and he can't figure out why this Kyle Richmond guy pays him to deliver the newspapers in advance when he never reads them. So this is outside the scene that we just saw, outside the soundproof meeting room where our bewildering battle has just occurred. Somehow, I don't know why it's soundproof, but it is, because, you know, otherwise this kid would have heard all the crashing and bashing. Exactly. I am Scorpio! And the kid's walking away and talking to his uh, dog and saying, hey, stay out of the road. My dad says you got to stay out of the road. And he doesn't notice that he's being followed by an elf with a gun. And the elf with the gun, there's a close-up of the elf with the gun pointing the gun at the reader, and we assume at the kid, when suddenly big panel with a burst and an exclamation point, no blam. And then the next panel, a truck is driving away, and there's just the the elf's little cap uh, on the ground. And some like sparklies hit. around it. Yes, and I can't quite read the name of the. There's like a name on the side of the truck. I think it's Mc, It's McCray. I, oh, I was McRae. looking for yeah, meaning yeah, yeah. in it. You know, McCray moving. I thought we'd get some like sort of clever in joke or something. No, although. Steve Gerber moving to the West Coast. Maybe that's, you know. So, and then it says, Finn. And so that was the ignominious end of the elf saga. Right. And it also makes the little joke that obviously the elf didn't listen to his father's advice and stay out of the road. Right. Well, the elf doesn't know the kid's father. Whatever. It's silly. 
And it's not really an epilogue either, by the way, but whatever. <laughs> it's not really what? An epilogue. Doesn't have anything to do with the uh, rest of the story. Why is it an epilogue? I know. It's an I'm epilogue. Picking, I'm nitpicking. It's an epilogue to the elf saga, which has now come to its satisfying conclusion. So satisfying. <laughs> I feel like I've learned so much. Okay, but we do. I think we have to take a. a uh, we could, maybe we'll only do one issue this time because we could probably talk about this for half an hour. But <laughs> I mean, again, it it was promised. Yeah. That we're going to end it in forty seven. I don't know if I was conscious of that reading the book. I remember getting to the end and going, "Oh, here," and and then it's you know it's a joke. Yes. There, there's a movie that used. I mean, I, probably a movie was probably from the eighties. I mean, it's a spoiler alert, but it's a stupid exploitation movie. Um, okay. It's got different titles, but one title was The Seducers, and it stars Sandra Locke. And it's about a man who answers the door, and these two young ladies you know, are in trouble. It's a storm. Their car broke down, whatever. And he takes them in, and they kind of like tease him and flirt with him and you know, try and get him to do things he doesn't want to do because he's married or whatever. It just goes back and forth. It's like a weird psychological game. And uh-huh. I think they wind up killing him. Again, spoiler alert. But the movie literally ends with them <laughs> skipping down the street and getting hit by a truck. Oy. Okay. And, and of course, when I saw that movie, it, it it brought me back to the traumatic ending of the elf with a gun. Yeah, yeah. I think I love your theory that the movie that I never thought I never connected a moving truck to the idea. It would be interesting if somehow it probably couldn't be confirmed. I mean, you could go to old, you know, records for New York. <laughs> but it would be great to find out if there was a Macre moving company in new york in the 70s and possibly that would be the symbolism steve oh gerber yes. killed the elf as he drove as, as his as his stuff drove out of new york that is a great theory also i like it well it's your theory you just you just you said it was well you know, you've, you've expanded it okay <laughs> i will also point out again this is another near miss of the elf crossing paths with the hulk yes and completely pointlessly. <laughs> well, yeah, well, to everybody. I mean, everybody's inside well, that. Yes, but but the last time it was only the Hulk, and so you know you can't say. Right. This is as close as he's going to get to the rest of the team, obviously, unless somebody brings him back. God only knows. Maybe they will. Issue one hundred and twelve. You'll be seeing the the elf with the gun again. When I was doing research, there are a couple times where. You know, I imagine it's sort of one of those things and, you know, that Marvel editors for a while said, no, don't, please don't, please don't. But there are a couple of things where people brought in variations or other elves from that elf world or something. There, 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 there are a couple mentions or a couple like weird cameo things, like where someone goes to a world and you see like an older version of, of, of the elf or something. But what I do wonder. I'm going to see the Smurf with the gun. Smurf with a gun. That yes. was when, when in the star line. <laughs> the, yes. But, but honestly, I mean, I think the conventional wisdom and maybe even Gerber spoke to it is that it was a takeoff the, or, right. uh, of the thing that we've been talking about. All these like one page foreshadowing pages that everybody was doing at Marvel. It was an easy way to fill out a page or two per issue. Uh, there's one this issue, right? With, you know, with, 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 yeah. um, I mean, it's more related to the story, but that page of Nick Fury taking down, you know, Jack Norris is very much that type of page, and that the idea was just to keep doing it and drive people crazy without ever paying it off. Yeah, and just see how far you could take it, right? Right. So too funny. 
I mean, what would you have done? I mean, what what could the story have been? I mean, you know, it's like if we put our... I don't know. I can think of things I, I might have done, but, you know, like you could have built up something where maybe after a couple of issues, you start seeing more of them. Like there's two different moments in an issue and the different elves doing different things and suddenly the elves are like taking over the book and then you know you have an actual story but they never one elf has a candlestick one elf has a, has a <laughs> one elf has a wrench yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly i don't know it's just a, a thought but there are there are things you could do with it but if you're determined to just keep it to an elf with a gun who never gets explained and never explains anything and it's just killing people randomly, but coming near the defenders occasionally, then yeah, you know, that's the right conclusion to come to, I guess. Right. I so. mean, it would. I mean, you would have had to do it as you know. Again, and if they waited, the real thing to do would have been to tie it into Omega. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, that that would have been a way to go. Like, if you have to wrap up two Steve Gerber stories, tie them together. That's that, hilarious. That the elf with the gun is looking for James Michael Starling. <laughs> yeah well okay i would have accepted that yeah it's one of those things i sort of go what you know i think it was just the idea i mean again i still have to applaud the genius of coming up with the idea of that image elf with a gun and you know sal Buscema, uh-huh. that you know iconic shot of the evil smirk on the elf with the gun pointed straight at the at the camera as it were uh the audience uh the reader and right You've got fantasy and real world, you know, fantasy magic character mixed with real world violence. And I think there's something in that too, that speaks to a lot of what Gerber did. The other thing we could have had is the, the elf could have been shot by the hunters who killed Bambi's (laughs) Bambi's mother. Uh, Was it elf season? Elf season. Elf season. (laughs) Again. (laughs) Be very, very right. quiet. So, it, yes. so it's, yes. The On this issue, the last thing, I, I should have mentioned this as a note earlier, but I forgot. And then I saw, I just ordered my batch of 51 and beyond of Defenders from someone. So I'm going to get some nice copies of it because I love the letters pages. And oh, someone did write in, and we were asking ourselves this, but we we didn't look back. We trusted the book. We trusted the the the, the narrator. But okay. Luke Cage never met Trish Starr. He wasn't yeah. in that issue. No, he was not. Okay. I, I, I remember we were sort of scratching our heads, but I, was, but I wasn't sure if there was something like, I mean, I knew there was never a scene of him, but I thought he was sort of in the, because like the defenders just kind of randomly drop into the scene at the end of the story. But, uh-huh. but Luke, um, you know. Uh, I thought he said story. something like, I just heard about what you did to Trish Starr. No, and then he says, and I met her. Oh, did he? Okay. He says, and I met her, and she's a very nice lady. Therefore, I'm angry. If Therefore, I'm angry at you. If she was a meanie bobini, I wouldn't have cared. It was something like that, but it was just that. But he ne- <laughs> he never met her. He could have just said, you know, I heard what happened. I heard I heard you haven't been nice to my friend's friend, but right. You yeah. know, thing something can happen between issues. But I think it was like actually a footnote <laughs> where it said in issue four. No comment. You know, yeah, oh, but it okay. could it could okay. yes. <laughs> Luke Cage, Luke Cage took his money that he made from Kyle Richmond and said, "I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go out to that weird farm in in, 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 in uh, Oklahoma or wherever it was, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna meet this Trish Star for myself, just to see for myself. Hey, you really did get your arm blown off. 
So, so if I ever run into Egghead, I'll have a really good That's reason right. to punch him in the face. Uh, okay, are we uh, ready to go on? Yes. Okay, good answer. So, <laughs> so we're on to issue 47, May cover date. Went on sale February 15th, 1977. And uh, something's changed about this cover car. No Doctor Strange in the corner box. Instead, Hellcat. They moved a lot more quickly than they did with Submariner. And then, I mean, not and not yeah. to skip ahead, but also the blue box on the top of the, the Stanley Presents box is also already rewritten. Oh, yeah. I didn't even notice that one. Cool. So this is another cover by Ed Hannigan and Joe Sinnott. And in this case, the only familiar defenders are on the cover are Valkyrie and Hellcat. Hellcat's unconscious on the floor inside what's probably Avengers Mansion, based on the story. You, know, you can't tell here. It's just sort of a... I was going to say, that, that's a spoiler, but yes. <laughs> it's a room full of machinery, kind of. Wonder Man is slugging Valkyrie in the jaw, I guess, and she's fallen down, even though her sword is raised high um, and Moon Knight is coming up to like attack Wonder Man Moon Knight? Moon Knight strange I know and also Valkyrie's back in her new costume sort of she's back she was in her familiar you know metal brassiere costume for a few issues without explanation and now this issue we're going to get an explanation it's a good one too and there's two captions on this cover the first one says, left without a leader to face the might of Wonder Man. These are some verbose captions. Yeah, because like Doctor Strange, he's yes. the guy to take out Wonder Man. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the bottom it says, a lot of words, Avenger versus Defender, plus the mysterious Moon Knight. All this in a new costume for the Valkyrie 2? An issue that truly has it all. And it might be an optical illusion, but there's so much text in this box. It looks like it gets smaller with every line, like the letterers going, oh, I didn't leave myself enough room for all of this. Well, I think it was on purpose. Verses and plus are smaller than all the other words in the first four lines. And then at the bottom, four lines are smaller than the rest of it. But there's still bold words in that. So it's really right that, that's yeah that's the illusion because that truly has it all with truly being bold in the last line makes it look like after the word truly it's getting even smaller yeah and the moon knight is you know is like block lettering colored in so it's yes it's 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 very uh, very busy text box yes i don't know if you're the right person to answer this question car but i hope you are where does this fall in like with moon knight history or whatever that is a great question. Um, I think I was going to, uh, the question is where does, well, Moon Knight has been mostly appearing in Werewolf by Night. Right. You know, but his first appearance is like three or four years ago at this point. Oh, is that right? Okay. Um, well, yeah, well, Werewolf, Werewolf 32 is, Werewolf 32 was 1975. So, 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 so two years ago he first appeared. I don't know if he had his Marvel Spotlight. Um, oh, right, I forgot about the Marvel Spotlight. Or is it Mar- is it Marvel Spotlight? Is Marvel Spotlight? No, I think it is Spotlight. Twenty eight. Yeah, <laughs> twenty eight is okay. So this is and this is like a year after he had his solo two issues, kind of like a pilot run, which obviously didn't lead to a series at that time. Right. You know, and that would have been Doug Mensch who created the character and Don Perlin. Don Perlin. Yeah. Yeah. 
and there may have been i don't think there was a there wasn't a marvel team up Nah, not that i recall there might have been i don't know if there was like a uh there might have been like another random guest appearance but certainly this is these guys looking at a character that they kind of poaching i mean not really poaching um i mean this is what you're supposed to be doing at marvel right but borrowing a cool character that is sitting there yeah gathering dust gathering dust why can't they uh, use um the re- no wait not the wraith what was that guy the shroud the shroud the shroud come on the shroud from super villain team up I, I, definitely i always like that guy he's a bit too close i mean it's it's weird because moon knight and the shroud are both kind of yeah. variations on on batman so it's actually with nighthawk it's a bit odd to bring in moon knight well that is true uh so this issue this story is called night moves this is the Bob Seeger inspired issue as opposed yes. to the Rush inspired issue we had a few issues ago. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I will say the song Night Moves was a big, big hit at the time. I liked it. I liked uh, Bob Seeger back then. Oh, yeah. It was, yeah, it was, it, was top, it was top 10. It was on the, it was totally on the rotation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is, features John Warner as guest scripter, Keith Giffen and Klaus Janssen art, and it doesn't have anyway. And plot by Dave Kraft and Roger Schleifer. There's no coloring credit, so I kind of assume that Jansen must oh, have Jansen. done the coloring. Perhaps, yeah. And also because obviously this is sort of a a, a fill-in type of issue. But I got to admit, I kind of you know I thought after last issue we're on such a you know gaining control of the ship. When I saw a guest yeah. scripter, I was like, oh no, we're you know one step forward, two steps back. Oh yeah, but John Warner was sort of a guest scripter guy on and off at Marvel. At the time. He, he was he like the new Bill Mantlo. Yeah, he did. He scripted the last couple of issues of Captain America that Steve Englehart plotted, but didn't finish and things like that. So, you know. Yeah. And I mean, he was, I think in sort of handling some concept, I mean, he was trying to create some things. I think he created Bloodstone. Oh, is that right? Uh, well, I think I've proven that I don't know much about Bloodstone in this podcast. Has Bloodstone come up before? Yeah, and I was explaining how I kind of couldn't remember the difference between Bloodstone and ugh, somebody else. Bloodstone and um, another character who's very like Bloodstone. <laughs> There's another character like Bloodstone. Skull the Slayer. Skull the Slayer. Oh, Skull the Slayer. I always thought they were like the same dude. Anyway. Well, that's interesting. Let's see. John Warner did write... Marvel Presents number one with pencils by Mike Vosberg and inks by Bob McLeod. And that was Ulysses Bloodstone battles a giant creature. So Bloodstone was a monster hunter and he kind of wore a safari outfit. Yes. And he may have also been developed for the black and white magazines. Okay. Or he may have even first appeared in one of them. I know he had, I think he's in both. I think he's in, I think he was like the backup feature in Rampaging Hulk as well. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Did Bloodstone have two little cute nephew sidekicks named Sweat and Tears? <laughs> if only, if only. But he does have a daughter that that be that is now like you know the hottest character to collect. But but Bloodstone didn't have a very long lifespan. No. Skull the Slayer was I think. Who's the daughter? Wait, I don't even know who this daughter is. I, I don't know much about her either, but let me just say Skull the Slayer. Okay, okay. Like seven or eight issues. And that was like a that was like lost slash 
La Brea slash Warlord before any of those things. Because it, it was kind of a Pellucidar thing. And I don't think it was even the Savage Land, but it was, I think it was more time. It was a airplane that went back in time and Skull <laughs> might have been a, was he a convict or something? Oh. There, there, <laughs> it was a plane of like seven people who wound up in a land, you know, with dinosaurs and stuff like that. But it wasn't the Savage Land. I think it's literally they went back in time and are claim- and not only that, but they lost my luggage. And they lost my luggage. So, but you 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 would see the similar thing you would see is a man and some weapon and fighting right. something lizard like that was larger than him. That would be the. <laughs> um, but I think her name is. I think the daughter's name is Elsa Bloodstone, and she was revived in maybe the nineties. There was like a four issue mini, oh, uh, and that's how someone. And and I think it was. I think. I would say it was Marvel's answer to Lara Croft. Ah, uh, um, if an answer if that no one put on the spot, you know, because and so she was in the so suddenly the safari pants got a lot tighter. <laughs> I don't know who the cover artist were, but there's a very but in what I've seen, you know, it's a very like a, a you know J. Scott Campbell, uh, Adam Hughes kind of vibe to the to the Elsa Bloodstone sales pitch. Uh, now I'm looking, um, and 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 there's be- and there's a belief and a rumor <clears throat> that she may become a Bloodstone character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because uh, you don't necessarily need another, you know, you know, a legacy hero is more interesting in that kind of environment. Perhaps I don't know. Um, perhaps I would say that's a big perhaps, considering we're talking about Bloodstone here. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I mean, neither of them obviously carried a book for very long so it's a you know but then also there's the bloodstone hunt oh my god all right all right, all right. which was a captain america <laughs> I'm sorry i said anything <laughs> and it's the captain america art that introduces crossbones uh but i okay. think it's by i think it's during like the uh it's either gruenwald or dematis and zach that era okay we start with valkyrie and hellcat are riding on aragorn who's flying up way up in the sky over the writing academy and she hellcat's thinking to herself better hang on you know because she's a, suddenly afraid of heights or something and like last time it didn't seem to be a big deal but now she's thinking like yikes this is very high and they're saying goodbye to the hulk and nighthawk who are two tiny little figures on the ground <laughs> and uh, oh valkyrie saying we'll be back by four midnight but not in those words <laughs> so we you know switch perspectives here now we see hulk and nighthawk down on the ground saying hulk saying you know like why are they leaving and nighthawk says they're just gonna go talk to the avengers and make sure everything's on the up and up although why did she why hellcat couldn't have done it with a phone call is beyond me but because then there'd really, be no story yeah there's that for sure but also she seems to really get off on circulating among superheroes <laughs> Well, that's sort of that. I mean, that's what the Beast accused her of was being a sort of a superhero groupie. Yes. So you know they're picking up on that little thread. Anyway, Hulk's like, "Will you shut up?" Hulk's tired. Hulk is ready to take a break. It's funny because this is what Hulk was complaining about everyone else doing last issue, but now he's doing it. Hulk's time for Hulk to want to be alone, and I'm going to get out of here. So he jumps away, and Kyle says, "Fine, I." Don't mind having a little time to myself anyway. 
and he goes inside the writing academy, kicks his way through the many, many newspapers that are on the porch. There's a throwback to last issue. Yeah. Continuity. A little continuity, always good. Goes inside. Apparently this part of the writing academy is just like his penthouse apartment or, or something because it's got like a bearskin rug and fancy furniture and a big bathtub. And he says, suddenly I'm the leader of a superhero team. Even the master of the mystic arts couldn't keep together. And you know what? I want to take a bath. And <laughs> what, what do they say in the Calgon? Take me away. So he's getting undressed. We get to see his tidy whities <laughs> and, you know, I don't know if this question's ever been answered in other superhero comics, but it's like, you know, what kind of underwear do, do, do they, you know, they don't have special superhero underwear. At least Nighthawk doesn't. He's just wearing his normal underwear. Uh-huh. His Y-fronts, as we call them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's pretty silly uh, that he's just stripping down here to get in the bathtub. Oh, by the way, out of all those newspapers, he seems to have found today's newspaper because he's settling in the tub to read it, and he's talking about how... As far as he's concerned, superheroes are characters in comic books, and all my newspaper carries is Doomsbury. Okay. So then we cut to still at the oil refinery from last issue, where Jack Norris is unconscious, and a couple of random agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. are carrying him away, and Nick Fury is, you know, yelling at them to get a move on, and he, Nick does not notice that over the uh, over his shoulder, up on top of one of the oil refinery drums or whatever those are called. Drums, I believe, is what they are called. The mysterious figure of Moon Knight. And he, does, she, he doesn't know who Nick Fury is, but he jumps down. Or tank. It might be a tank. Yeah, that's true. Jumps down onto them and starts fighting with them because he thinks, you know, these guys are kidnapping this innocent Jack Norris guy. Anyway... He and Nick Fury are sort of duking it out here. And it's a great page of action, but not much to it other than, you know, Moon Knight is... You'd, you'd think Moon Knight would be able to take Nick Fury out pretty easily, but it doesn't seem to be going as easily as um, you as he would have expected. But it also gives him a chance to explain how, you know, I fight for no, just, no government, only justice. I'm a free agent. And so we, we've established that in a way, in a weird way, Nick Fury and Moon Knight are very much the polar opposites because Nick Fury is a government operative. Moon Knight knocks him down. The other two agents come running up to try to get in on this action, but then Jack Norris wakes up and hits one of the agents, and Fury throws a gas grenade that kind of scatters everybody, and the, you know the agents of Shield and Nick Fury all get away leaving Jack Norris and Moon Knight. Jack Norris Moon gets Knight. one punch in on a guy. Yeah. Moon Knight says, why are they after you? And Jack says, I'm not sure. But whatever it is, I can tell you I'm innocent. <laughs> okay. And then we cut to Doctor Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum, where Valkyrie is coming for a visit. Wong lets her in. She's talking to Clea, and... She says, you know, I uh, Valkyrie says, rather, you know, I've been meaning to talk to you about my costume, and you might have thought that I was just rude about the new costume you gave me because I was in my old costume again. And Clea's like, yeah, I just assumed you didn't like it, but I didn't want to bring it up. And Valkyrie, I thought this was fantastic. Valkyrie explains, here's the problem. I like your new, the new costume just fine, but when I put my sword in my scabbard and pull it out again, 
whatever I'm wearing reverts to my old costume. Right. <laughs> I was like, oh, there you go. Now I get it. It's a great explanation for what was probably just a mistake. And accept it. And it wasn't a, apparent when, I mean, the original, the costume she was wearing was, ta- she had to take it off for prison and it was a mess and they didn't give it back to her. And yeah, so presumably they're sort of saying when, when, when she was reunited with her dragon fang, is that the, the sword, blade? Yeah. Yes. So when she gets dragon fang back, presumably they're sort of saying, oh, it, you know, she put on the new costume, but maybe when she, she put the sword into its scabbard and pulled it out again and Jerry Conway was in the room, so she became the old costume again. <laughs> Seems like, yeah. Anyway, it's great. Clea says, you know, we can we can fix that. It's not a problem. And she just snaps her fingers and Valkyrie is in the new costume from a few issues ago, the gold costume with the hip-high boots and the off-the-shoulder um, bodice and one sleeve and one no-sleeve. <laughs> um, but then Clea says, nah, that doesn't seem quite right. I'm going to make a few adjustments if you don't mind. And gestures mystically and there's like a lot of power being expelled and smoke and uh, weird colors. So it's funny because like first just to put the costume on her snap of the fingers, but then to change the costume a little bit, it's like a whole, you know, production. And now doctor's costume is more, shall we say Keith Giffen styled. Yes. So she, you know, she's got like a collar and, both arms are covered and the boots are now like thigh high boots and there's no flesh showing like anywhere. So it's a little less showy than the the previous one was in a good way, I think. Yeah. It's a little more appropriate for a warrior. At the same time, Hellcat is using her pass key to get into Avengers Mansion and there's nobody around. But she hears a sound and she looks around the corner and sees a guy in a green costume with like a red belt and boots. And a big W. And a big W. Oh, yeah, that's right. And it's not even Christmas with the green and red. (laughs) It's funny. I never really thought of that as a W, but of course it is. It just seemed like some weird shape. Oh, well, I don't know. It's It's obviously a big W W or the vision's brain patterns. Yeah. (laughs) So because she considers herself an Avenger, and she is, she immediately starts yelling at Wonder Man saying, identify yourself. And he turns around. He's been working at like a a computer console and he turns around and he's still got his hands on a lever or something. And it rips off a big chunk of the computer, you know, controls and whatnot. So when he turns around real fast and does that, says to himself, oops, didn't keep my super strength in check. She thinks he's, he's attacking her. So she leaps out of the way. He leaps toward him. It was an accident. You startled me, he says. And she says, sure, I'm the Hulk. What have you done with the Avengers? And he's like, no, no, no. I'm just, it's a, a, it's a mistake. And then, you know, they start fighting and she's not listening to him and he's trying to explain. Well, the other interesting thing here is that he is a villain or was originally a villain in Avengers mythology, first appearing in Avengers 9. It was a one-off and then he goes away. Yeah, he dies. He dies, and then that leads to the to his brother be Power Man. No, no, his brother is uh, 
His brother is the guy the guy who looks like the Black Terror, the Grim Reaper. Oh, oh, but wasn't he in like a brown costume first as Power Man? No, he's Wonder Man. Well, then who's that? Power okay. Man is a the the Power Man was a different like one-off villain. Oh, really? Yeah, he was like one of the masters of evil or something. But Wonder Man, I mean maybe he's related to Power Man too, I don't know. But the Grim Reaper came back to avenge Wonder Man because he blamed the Avengers for his death. Right. And you're right. Then, I remember that too. So I'm, now I'm, now I'm confused. I've confused myself, perhaps. And the whole, and the whole membership storyline that was tying up with Steve Englehart and then into Jerry Conway over in Avengers around 150, 151 ends with the big surprise twist of there being during this big news broadcast when they're about to announce the new lineup and, you know, and, and everybody, you know, who's leaving, who's staying, there's a big man size parcel like sitting on the sidewalk that bursts open and it's wonder man and he's alive. So I, I don't know exactly where these two align, but you know, wonder man, yeah, was somehow reformed and, and now has been taken in as an Avengers member. But my point being, they're playing it as she doesn't recognize him. They could have also played it as, Hey, you're Wonder Man. I remember, and maybe, you know, they didn't, maybe that was an intention. Maybe the scripter wasn't aware of that or whatever, but it really seems to me it would have been a better twist if she goes, I know so much about the Avengers because she is a superhero groupie. You're Wonder Man and you're a bad guy. What are you doing here? And she's not going to believe because she was off with Moondragon and the Defenders. She's not going to believe that Wonder Man came back and they embraced him as an Avenger. Uh-huh. And she does. I under, but but it makes sense that he has no idea who she is because he wouldn't know right. who she was because he was dead. Uh-huh. I am still trying to make sense out of this. No, here it is. Okay, Power Man Eric Jostin was Zemo's first subject to make a super soldier was Simon Williams who became Wonder Man, and then he tried it again with Power Man Eric Jostin. Okay, so the the connection I'm seeing there is that they both got their powers through uh, Baron Zemo and, and had somewhat similar powers, uh, somewhat similar costumes originally. So it is, yes. Well, yeah. And it is a masters of evil. So, so that's why power man is on the masters of evil. Yeah. Cause that's a Baron Z that's a Baron Zemo joint. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So my mistake on that. <laughs> anyway, but they are brothers of a sort. Sort, yes. Brothers in power and wonder. Oh, God. <laughs> Thank you for that. So there's like an air conditioning unit or something that's falling from the ceiling here, and Power Man smashes it to the side, and I just wanted to mention this because this the great um, sound effect, scumash! <laughs> there's some good sound effects on this page. Yeah, The whole place is getting trashed. There's a lot of like broken equipment and stuff. And then some big thing falls down and he catches it and yells to her, get out of here, run. And she says, hey, you're trying to save my life. So she kind of figures out that like, oh, maybe this guy isn't so bad after all. Meanwhile, Kyle still soaks in his bath. That's what the caption says. And it's true. He's he's still in the bathtub. He's like suddenly getting a little bored because how long can you really hang out in the bathtub? Um, and he decides he's going to look for someone to go out with on a date. And I don't think he's 
reading today's paper, I think he's taking reading Doonesbury in every paper. That's all he's doing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. <laughs> he's just opening up to Doonesbury and then going to the next paper. <laughs> and he'll make sense of the storyline later. Yeah, it makes sense now that you say that because you can see he's actually reading comics in the newspaper. And as that is happening, or not much is happening there, um, Jack Norris and Moon Knight arrive in New York in Moon Knight's helicopter? I guess so. He had a helicopter. And, uh, you did have a helicopter, going... and it's like moon-shaped. It's like crescent-shaped. Oh, that's right, yes. So they're going to basically find Doctor Strange for help because they don't know. You know, Jack doesn't know what's been going on with the Defenders last in recent times, let's say. So then Jack enters Doctor Strange's place with Moon Knight. Valkyrie says, you know, hey, what? <laughs> what are you doing here? And Valkyrie says, this is no longer our headquarters. I'm here on a personal errand. And Jack says, turn off the ice, Val. It's not what you think. I just came because I need help. Uh, she didn't seem too icy to me, but okay. And Jack sort of explains how he was captured by... Oh, right. Because of his... Uh, attempts to stop Ruby Thursday's presidential campaign back in Defenders Annual Number One, according to the footnote, he was captured by Shield, who want to know why he was threatening a presidential pre candidate. It's like, yeah, that's fair, but then Shield uses all sorts of you know truth serum drugs on him, and Nick Fury looks like a big monster. In, yeah, in so solution. some sort of psychedelic. Yeah, so. He looks it turns him into a Jim Steranko effect. Ah, how appropriate. <laughs> they finally let him go. And they've hounded and harassed him ever since. And they're trying to abduct him again. And Moon Knight says, that's where I come in, basically. So Valkyrie says, why don't we all go see the Avengers? They work with S.H.I.E.L.D. all the time. They may be able to tell us what's going on here a little more fully. And then we come back to Avengers Mansion, where there's this giant pile of rubble. And Wonder Man is basically picking up the whole, you know, several tons worth of machinery and freeing himself and uh, Hellcat. But Hellcat is, I guess, unconscious here. And this is just as Valkyrie and everybody are arriving and they hear <laughs> they hear the big crash, even though I guess they must be outside. I guess Hell, uh, Avengers Mansion is not soundproofed. Because <laughs> <laughs> they go smashing, she goes smashing through the front door and finds unconscious Hellcat and, of course, Wonder Man standing over her. And she goes running at Wonder Man with her sword raised. And Wonder Man, like, goes flying and is like, I, I've had enough of this. I'm going to... And um, that, that, that's a, that's a Salbusema panel. Yeah, I thought so, too. Very <laughs> Salbusema panel of, you know, the sword swings and the guy who got hit by the sword is already 20 feet away flying. He's flying right at you. Yeah. So now we've got... Valkyrie and well, really, it's Wonder Man fighting. Uh, excuse me, Moon Knight fighting, fighting Wonder Man, and they're bouncing around the room, smashing things up even more than they already were smashed up. But Wonder Man manages to grab Moon Knight by the ankle and throw him at Valkyrie, and then he's going run at them because going running at them to wrap this up and you know really cream them. When Hellcat wakes up. And she says, wait, he saved me. You can't stop everybody. Stop, stop. <laughs> and uh, Wonder Man 
you know, tells her to back off. But she says, no, I have business with the Avengers and I can prove it. And she shows the tape that she somehow knows exists that Iron Man made showing Moondragon and Hellcat and how they will always be welcome to return to the Avengers. This is Iron Man, including file tape Z106-A, or 2106, maybe. Well, how are you going to find it with that kind of system? Yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> how, did, how does she know this exists? <laughs> what is she, hey, I thought you'd like to see this before we uh, put it in, you know, before we file it away. So they're watching it, and Wonder Man says, okay, I guess, you know, you're for real. There's no way you could have faked that tape. And wait, an override signal is jamming the monitor. And we see on the monitor Nick Fury, who says, sorry to cut in like this, Avengers. It's a, but a, there's a priority alert on a man called Jack Norris. I'm sending information to your computer. If you find him, you got to turn him over to S.H.I.E.L.D. at once. Hellcat says, now what do we do? And Jack says, hey, I don't like the way you said that. <laughs> and like, is he talking to Hellcat or Fury? I think Hellcat. Okay. Like, she's not automatically saying... We have to protect man I never met before. Right. Well, she, exactly. Yeah. The oh, the other interesting thing, in the middle of that fight, when Moon Knight and Wonder Man start fighting, they, Moon Knight says he has some sort of access to Avengers files. He likes to keep up to date on these things, and he oh, can yeah. find no record of an Avenger named Wonder Man. And then Wonder Man says, well, I just came back from the dead. I really have no idea how that happened. And then there's a footnote that says it's all going to be explained in issue. You know, this story obviously takes place before issue 160 or something like that that comes out in a couple of months i I meant to mention that actually and i forgot yeah i thought that was really nutty that you know they were explaining something on sale soon it says and on sale soon is avengers 160 will be on sale soon so it's like we we, the explanation's coming we just haven't gotten to it yet that's uh jim shooter george perez yeah. So Jim Shooter's left to clean up all that. Yeah. Oh, it's the try. That was a great. And now I'm looking at that. That was a great issue. Yeah, that was, that was fun stuff. But yeah, I believe that's all. Um, but yeah, that's June '77. So yes, we are. We're we are two months away. Yeah, that I think is the second time, the second series where Jerry Conway takes over writing it, brings back a bunch of stuff, and leaves other people to explain it. Because I think. He wrote the issue where Wonder Man comes back, and they're all like, "Wait, yeah, a that was that was the new lineup issue that was kind of patched together from the pages yeah. that Steve Englehart had already done." And then, I mean, and it's and it's very, I love, I mean, there's so much back matter in these letter columns, you know, and and in that that issue, because uh, I was looking at that issue, and it kind of explains how. You know, because they're sort of apologizing, you know, and again, it's sort of like what was going on in Defenders at the time with apologizing for Steve Gerber's doing this or doing that. And it was apologizing that they missed the anniversary issue and had to do a fill in. And so 151 has pages that were supposed to be in 150. And it also has I mean, he also did some subplot pages with um, who's it, the wizard watching the television and going, oh, there's Wanda. There's my kids or whatever. Uh, When you know, when that was still a mystery, right, that who were who was. Wanda and Pietro's parents. But yeah, there were a lot of like setup things that, I mean, again, it was really good fodder for the, the writers after that. Yeah. You know, and in this letters page in Defenders, not in 47, they explain the reason. Where is it? For the, you're probably wondering why we called you all here. It's like this. We want to explain the situation of the unstable scripters. 
Basically, uh, the problem is seems to take six weeks to produce each monthly issue of a comics title. Is that true? <laughs> Adam, I'm from not. your experience? Well, it depends on how you look at it. I mean, if you're going to include, like, the initial plotting all the way through to production, yeah, maybe. And, you know, but basically it says that, you know, that, you know, it's always left to, you know, Claws to kind of carry the weight and do all the heavy lifting at the end to meet the deadline. Yes. Um, yep. And this issue was saved from from missing deadlines, mostly because he was working mostly from Keith's layouts. So the art was done, but David and Roger, Roger has become an assistant editor at Marvel, Roger Slifer, so he can't really do the scripting as much. And uh-huh. Dave is now getting more writing and finishing up some other things. So he wasn't able to, to get to it this month as well. So this was the, uh, you know, this was the, you know, but John Warner came in and things like, you know, sort of saying things like that happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's a crazy time. But, it, but, but again, for me at the time that I did appreciate that because it made me feel like, okay, great. We didn't, it's not like the Scorpio thing. Oh, and what it says is, Dave wanted to make sure he got gets the Scorpio story, which is so important to him, and yes. and it, and it clearly is when you get. I mean, I think I would I would put it this way that he was sort of saving his energies for that mm-hmm. and getting that right, as opposed to this kind of transitory issue that you know doesn't really move the it doesn't move the Scor- Scorpio story along. No. Um, all it really does it's, is it gives us more background on the sort of the Jack Norris aspect. It introduces, you know, plays more with this idea of, you know, Nick Fury is looking to bring, you know, Jack Norris in and uh, maybe, you know, and again, at this point it hasn't been stated in the story, but it's known in the world of Marvel, right? I mean, in, in, uh, cause Scorpio was created as Nick Fury's brother. He's Nick Fury's brother in the, in the Serenko story, right? You're just going to give it away. I think that is correct. Yes. Well, I didn't think I was giving. I mean, I'm thinking if you were, if you were knowledgeable. Oh, I'm kidding. Oh, <laughs> I was kidding. Geesh. <laughs> well, I'm very sensitive to spoilers. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm no, no, and in, the, in this kind of project, I'm more sensitive. You know, I did this once with Watchmen, not as a podcast, as a written thing. But the hardest thing in trying to discuss Watchmen was to be able to talk about an issue without going, and I know everything that happened. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. like you 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 didn't want to sort of you wanted to look at it as the ar- artifact. And again, I don't think it's been stated yet. You know, I, I think when I was reading it, I didn't realize those two plots were necessarily going to cross paths. I guess that is a right. spoiler um, from this point of view. But if you were a knowledgeable Marvel fan and knew the history of Scorpio, you would yes, per, you would anticipate a connection. Right, not Hank Scorpio though. Hank Scorpio. <laughs> oh, is that The Simpsons? Is that Albert Brooks in The Simpsons? Oh, I love that episode so much. Yes. Hank Scorpio. Is that a first season or it's an early no, season? No, 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 no. It's, it's like season six or seven. Oh, I'm right? thinking, no, Albert Albert Brooks is the bowler in the first season. He's a bunch of things, but, you yeah. know, he is Hank Scorpio for sure. Okay. Next issue, the Sinister Secret of Scorpio, it says here. Now, this is the thing that I thought was interesting, Carr. Um, we had one issue... That introduces the Scorpio storyline, but then he just like disappears. Then this intermediary issue where a bunch of pieces get moved around on the chessboard, right? Including maybe Moon Knight's going to be in the team for a while, and I don't know what else. And it's some of it seems fairly unnecessary, like the whole I have to go back to the Avengers to tell them in person that I'm not going to be on the team for a while. 
Yeah, no, and and that's there just again to have a cover. You you get a you get a six page fight scene with Wonder right. Man, yeah. you know, and that eats up a third of the issue. And then we go back in issue forty eight next time to the Scorpio story, which will run for several issues. I believe it's basically three. It's a it's a it's a trilogy at that point. Yes. So it total totals four parts if you leave out this middle section, right? Of not much happening that has anything to do with the story. No, only it gives us a bit more of the it expands on on Jack Norris's point of view. Yes, yeah, which is actually Perfect. good because in the other issues where it was just it was just very generic. People are chasing me. Why are you still bothering me? But right. I think we can guess right that the the man like two issues ago. Where it's a mysterious man, what you know that that he recognizes. Why are you harassing me? That that must have been Nick Fury. Yes. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and the head of Shield is after you, and that's that's a scary proposition. It is. Cool. Well, I think we've made it to the end. But at, you know, at the, but remember when we finally end this thing, the 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 it's going to be like a four hour blooper reel. Of, of all the things about that, that. Um, all the things that that that, that Adam cut out. <laughs> so I really haven't cut out much, by the way. Yeah. But now it sounds like I should have been keeping everything. Right. Like, well, you know, here's. Oh, I see where you're. You know what the great compliment is, though. When I was talking to somebody this week, they said, yeah. "So, what do you guys do? Like a half an? Because I've been li- I've been listening to them and I'm enjoying them, and and you kind of keep it to like half an hour or something." And I said, oh, thank you for saying that because it's not a half an hour. <laughs> We've never had a half hour episode. Oh, I'm yeah. so glad it feels like half an hour. <laughs> uh-huh. Even in a couple of the episodes where we've said, this will probably be a quick one. It's been like an hour and 10 minutes. Well, you the know, Howard, there's always a bloodstone lurking episode. around the corner. That was... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. Okay. I don't. I'm I'm going to check on this Scorpio stuff from Shield number 5 and see exactly what the deal is. Yeah, I think I've got one of those around or there's well oh certainly yeah, I let, let let's let's just kind of review that. We'll both review yeah. that and so we have Good. some some more background on on Mr. Scorpio. That is <laughs> Mr. Scorpio. That has been one of my most frequently repurchased runs of comics. I, I believe you bought an edition, a new edition of it, and then sold me back your old edition. Well, it was more of a trade, but yeah, you know, yeah. there's that. But I have the uh, IDW artist edition. You know, I've had several different collections of it. Yeah, I kind of wish they would collect the rest of the Shield issues. I'd like to read them. They're probably not very good. Oh, the Frank Springer and the yeah, and who was was Gary Friedrich or somebody like that writing? Uh, a lot of it. Yeah, I actually just flipped through them this morning on like comics.org and there's an issue by steve or an issue or two by steve parkhouse and barry smith there's a bunch by friedrich there's a bunch by springer i think archie goodwin writes a couple okay and i i definitely the only one i remember out of that batch that i read was a christmas issue that got reprinted in a marvel treasury edition yes i remember that one too yeah. And that wasn't Steranko. I mean, but everybody was sort of trying to ape Steranko. Frank Springer did a really good job of at least for yeah. the title page, he would always do a really cool design. Yes. To kind of give it that 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 flavor. It was his it was his best work since Phoebe Zeitgeist. Wow. Oh, I love Phoebe Zeitgeist. I, I don't <laughs> know. What, I, is, was it more than a one shot wonder? Yes. Oh, do you oh, not wow. do you not know what that was? I don't know what Phoebe Zeitgeist is. Oh, it was a serialized comic strip written by Michael O'Donoghue and drawn by Frank Springer 
and it ran in something called the Evergreen Quarterly in the late 60s. And there wow. have been collections of it. It was like six pages an issue. And it's phenomenal and bizarre. Wow. I will feed you know. your I will feed your fingers to the Wolverine. <laughs> As well you should. Good old Michael, right? That's Michael O'Donoghue, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. So until next time, let's give a rousing Defenders Dissemble. Thanks for listening, everybody. Fun episode again. We're enjoying doing this. We hope you're enjoying listening. Please leave us a review and uh, tell your friends. Check off all those stars if you can, you know, like on Apple Podcasts where you can give us five stars. Give us at least five stars. We, we definitely have earned it. And uh, we'll see you all next time. Superhero, uh,